The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning. I, I, was, I was confused for a second. I was on the wrong side of the, the screen here. <laughs> you get used to things. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and as you can see, Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is here. Good morning, Dr. Grand-Pichet. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here. Uh, it's so lovely to be here and I'm so excited. We're live and people are already writing into the chat. I want to give a shout out to, was it Michelle who said, wahoo, I finally made it here. Uh, I, I made it to see the live. You're here. It's wonderful. Uh, we've got people already writing in questions. Yes, all things awesome. You can ask questions in the chat right where you wrote that. Good morning to Ka. Good morning to Rhea. We're going to get to your question. Good morning to Renee and Elvira. And, and good morning to the other Michelle. So thrilled to have you guys all here with us. Let's go over a couple of ground um, rules and, and notes and, and, and things so that everybody knows. You can be writing in right now. We are live right now with Dr. Doreen Grampiche. She's a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40. Yes, I said four zero years, working with all kinds of individuals on and around the autism spectrum, the individuals themselves, uh, the families, She's worked with small babies up through senior citizens. We love so many things about her, but we love that she is a champion for the rights of the individual and for people to be treated as individuals. I, I love, I've been quoting you everywhere, Dr. Grampichet, because I, it's something that you've said to me for the longest time, but it's really become like the taproot for everything for me uh, that Dr. Grampichet says it has to be fair when working with anybody. It has to be fair. And that seems like such a simplistic thing, but it is the basis for all things good. So we just appreciate your viewpoint and thrilled that you're here. She's going to be answering your questions throughout the next hour. We'll take as many of the questions as we can squeeze in. I do have to give the disclaimer that while she is, I believe, the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time, there is no expert in this field or any other field that can give individual specific advice in this format. So when we all understand that, please write in and be as specific as possible, but know that um, it would be unfair to you and to the individual that is being discussed to assume that Dr. Grampichet could know everything without seeing them in person. That wouldn't be fair to her. It wouldn't be fair to them. It wouldn't be fair to you. So we welcome everyone, whether you are the individual on the spectrum or the or it's someone you love on the spectrum or someone that you are working with and teaching that you also care about deeply. We, we welcome all of your questions. Did I leave anything out, Dr. Grampichet? No, no, you did great. <clears throat> but I will say Traven is showing you right now all the different ways that you can be watching the show. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites, and you can be writing in. We we love it when you, especially, especially when you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, because you just write in on that platform and it aggregates here, and we can be talking to all of you at the same time. Dr. Grampiche can see the questions, and so then I, so can I. That's if things go well. We can at the moment. Um, so that's wonderful. And we might ask you more questions and then you can fill them in. Um, I do want to say that this show is available as a podcast later on that, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's available wherever you download podcasts. It is a free download, which we're really awfully proud of. And there is a library of videos on our YouTube channel that goes back over 10 years. And let's not forget that Dr. Grampiche is also on TikTok, that you can also, if we don't get to your question today, you can write in and ask her on TikTok. She is quite accomplished and brilliant at the TikTok thing. Whoever thought that would be on no, your resume. I am not. I am so bad at the TikTok thing, but I am just- oh, you're not. Respond to, to questions that I'm getting. So you're, yes, you're actually quite good at it. <laughs> Please do send me questions there. In fact, like I would appreciate it if you send me questions there because uh, I am, you know, I have to come up with subjects that I think people would want to hear about. So I love your questions. 
Yes. We, who wants to mind read when you can just tell her what you would like for her to talk to talk about? Uh, so absolutely love that. Shall we shall we launch it? Can I say one quick thing? Today is a very big day. We are doing something we don't normally do at Autism Live. We're doing a special second live feed this afternoon. Um, that at five o'clock Eastern time, two o'clock Pacific time, we're doing a special live show with Kobe Bird who is the actor who is one of the stars of the show um, Lock and Key on Netflix. I'm getting verklempt. Can you tell? And uh, he's been in seasons one and two, but he has been made one of the principal cast for season three. So we're really excited to talk with him about that today and a whole bunch of other things. So if you're a big Lock and Key fan, you should be with us live this afternoon. We will re-air it tomorrow. excuse me, during our regular time, um, but it will be live this afternoon. Also want to say that this afternoon, um, way later this afternoon at 5 p.m. Pacific time, which is 8 p.m. Eastern time, I'm doing an Ed Talk again with uh, Dr. Temple Grandin at the, um, at Asner Family Center. So, you can, you can see way too much of me today, um, but hopefully I'll be quiet during all of those things. In any case, uh, we should jump right in here and um, start with, Rhea wants to know, how can I get my six-year-old to understand not to bite? Yeah, so, and I see that Rhea wrote later and said, I have him in ABA, but he's biting people. Thank so. You. Real, you know, and all challenging behaviors like biting, you have to find out why he is doing it. It's really important to to know what the reason is. And in ABA lingo, we call that the function. Um, and so he could, for instance, he could be biting people uh, to get them to leave him alone. And that's basically called escape behavior. He could be biting people uh, just because he likes the way they react. So he's trying to get their attention. Uh, He could be biting people to try to get access to something. Like let's say a child has a toy and he wants it. He he will bite the child and grab the toy, that kind of thing. And each of those has a different treatment to get rid of it. So you really have to start by saying, why is he biting this person? And if, if you can identify the function of each time, sometimes the function is the same, no matter who it is he's biting. So for instance, he just might be biting people who place demands on him and he is trying to get them to leave him alone. And that in those, you know, let's say that's the function is, is he's escaping a demand. And if that's the function, you have to make sure that he does not get to escape so that you have to block the, uh, the bite, which is difficult. But if you know that he's about to bite, they have to be able to prevent him from harming them, but not allow him to escape the demand that was just placed. Uh, maybe make the, the demand a little bit easier, uh, maybe increase, no, definitely increase the reinforcers once he complies with the demand or does whatever they're asking, increase the reward, uh, make it an easier ask, but never let the child get what they want when they bite. Because if you do, then the child is learning that biting is a very useful and effective way of communicating. And that's the key to it. It's that our kids are not doing these aggressive behaviors, challenging behaviors because they're mean. They're doing these behaviors only because they are trying to communicate something. And they've learned that this is an effective way of communicating it. You know, a lot of teachers uh, used to come and tell me, like, I don't know what he does. Why does he always tantrum? You know, we take him out of class when he tantrums, but he continues to do it. And that is a great example of how the child is rewarded for something they're doing because the child, who doesn't want to be taken out of class and walk around the campus? That's like way more fun than sitting in class and having demands placed on you. So when things become effective, when a way of communicating, whether it's biting or screaming, tantruming, hitting, 
works. When we get what we are trying to get, then that behavior becomes ingrained. So you have to make sure that the, the behavior, whether it's biting or hitting or whatever it is, doesn't work for him. And whatever you had asked, if it's a demand situation, you just keep going at it, right? Um, so maybe you can write back in and tell us why he uh, bites, if you know. And if you don't know, um, uh, you know, that's when you need a BCBA, someone who's board certified in behavior analysis, and they can easily come in and observe and see exactly what's happening right before the behavior, right after the behavior, and they can figure out what the actual function is. And once we know the function, then we can tell you how to deal with it. There you go. Um, I know one of the big aha moments for me when I, as a parent, um, cause I would look at what you guys would do with my son and I would go, it's magic. It's, it's magic. I don't quite get it. How are they getting him very quickly to stop doing the thing that he's doing? And, and every time they come in the house, he doesn't do that thing. I, I really couldn't get it. And then we honestly, we were a couple of years into ABA and someone said to me, um, well, you know, there are the, the, cause I said, why is he doing this? And, and it was Art, Art Wilkie, who said to me, well, you know, there are the four usual suspects. Yeah. And I talk about this all the time now. Now I know for you, you like to boil it down even, even smaller that you were either going to things or going away to things. But yeah. my problem with that, Dr. Grampiche, is that I could never figure out if my son was biting, what was he going to or what was he going away from? And having the four usual suspects, for some reason, it helped my brain. Yeah. And, 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 and do you want to go over what the four sure. usual suspects are? Sure. I mean, we've talked about this, um, and it, it applies to all human beings and all behavior. And I like to boil it down to just two things, which is essentially we're trying to gain access to something. Like you want to get something or you want to avoid something. That's essentially what it is. And now with the getting something, you might want to get a, an object. Like I want... Uh, a toy, or you might want to get access to, I want to go outside and play. So you're getting something or you're avoiding something, which is you want to avoid, uh, a you know, the same thing. Like, I don't want to be told what to do. Uh, I don't want to be in a classroom. I want to get out of this classroom. So those in, in ABA lingo, when you want to get an object or a thing, we call it a tangible function. That means it is something that you are trying to gain access to, a tangible function. The other thing that you might wanna get is attention. So attention is another function. And uh, the thing that you mostly wanna avoid is you know, different objects. So we call that an avoidance or an escape function. Those are the three main ones. The fourth one is what we call a sort of stereotypical ritualistic type of function. And that has a lot to do with not knowing enough about autism. So for instance, we call it an internal function. So it's kind of like the person is self-stimulating or doing body rocking, and we don't know what the real, what is causing them to do it, but it's something internal to the human being. So, and, and to me, those are things like pain, anxiety, uh, you know, all of those things. Like the person has pain and they're trying to avoid the pain. Again, it's, to me, it boils down to the two, right? Uh, or they're, you know, they have a headache and by doing this, it helps their headache, those types of things. So, uh, but essentially, if you think of any behavior, any behavior at all, it's always going to be those things. The reason is always going to be one of those four that I mentioned. So Rhea wrote back in while we were chatting about this, and she says he was asked to pick up toys. Um, and she wants to know if what we're talking about would work in home. Absolutely. So he is asked to pick up toys. That means there's a demand being placed on him. And he has, instead of, if he could talk, this is another way for parents to think about it. What would he say? If he could talk and if he wasn't as angry as fast, he would probably say, no, I don't want to pick up my toys. Okay. Instead of saying, no, I don't want to pick up my toys, he bites. 
And most of the time when he bites, very likely people will leave him alone. And so he gets what he wanted, which is now nobody is forcing him to pick up his toys. So the way yeah, we're too busy to giving the lecture saying, don't bite. Why are you biting? You, yeah. you need to go to your room. You don't bite yeah. your sister. You don't bite me, whatever. We're da, 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 da. And, and he goes, great. Yeah. I didn't have to pick up the toys. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's a little bit kind of more in, de in depth and in detail what you're talking about, Shannon, because sometimes with our kids, it's not even, they might not even get away with it completely, but delay helps them. Yeah. So yeah. you, you standing there and like lecturing him is a period of delay where he doesn't get to, he continues playing with his toys or doing whatever it is he's doing. So the way to deal with this situation in his case is that you don't have him pick up his toys initially you just say i need you to pick that up one toy one toy he picks it up you will prompt him before he gets a chance make it very easy before he gets a chance to object or get angry uh you know put on puts like let's say it's a block or blocks on the floor put a bring a basket or a bucket or something make it very easy for him and uh, in front of him and just have him put the one object in the basket and that's it. And you reward him and you tell him, good picking up your toys. That was awesome. I love that. And that's all you accomplished today. And you've avoided the bite and you've rewarded him for picking up a toy. Now you're going to do that tomorrow, probably the same. The next day, maybe you'll do two objects. And you'll reward him, but you got to make sure that if he bites or if he attempts to bite, you don't stop. You just reward him for what you have him continue. You can hand over hand prompt, have him continue as if the bite did not occur. Okay. As if it did not occur. And that's why it's important. Of course, with things like biting, you have to be able to avoid it, right? Because it can hurt you. Uh, but basically what I'm suggesting is you do it in very, very small increments. You give a lot of reward and you gradually increase it so that when he is, so that he's motivated and he realizes that it's not a big deal. I can actually pick up all my toys and there's going to be a big reward at the end. Now, remember when you have him pick up one toy and you give him a reward, those two things have to have a certain level of fairness. This is where the fairness comes in. The effort into picking up one object could be worth a value of a reward of let's say one sticker, okay? But if he's gonna pick up his entire room and it's a mess and it's gonna take him let's say 15 minutes, then at that point you need a bigger reward. Like maybe he gets a cookie or something that is really much, you have to be fair. You cannot place a massive demand with a tiny reward. And the other way around too, you can't have like a tiny request with a huge reward because then as you increase your demands or your asks, the huge rewards just won't mean anything anymore because he has them all the time. So you ha it has to be a fair kind of buildup. And, and, you know, this is not a big deal. All, all kids, if you think about it, will have some objection initially to picking up toys. The other side of it is that when they pick up their toys, they kind of realize it's the end of playing. So you might want to make sure that after his toys have been picked up, he gets to go outside for a few minutes or do something else that is just as fun. Absolutely. We also tried to make the picking up toys fun. Yeah, because um, it's terrible. I don't want to pick up toys. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to pick up toys. Why would anybody want to pick up toys? So for my son, it anything that he didn't want to do, if we he loved doing a race. If there was yeah. a race and it was like, you know, who can pick up the most toys? We, you know, we're gonna set the timer for one minute. Who can pick up the Perfect. most toys in one minute? And then and we would be crazy and running around going, ah, the whole time. And he thought that was hilarious. And he would, and, and, and I would pick up one toy and I would go, oh, where's another toy? I can't find another toy. And he would pick up 20 toys and he would be, I'm winning. I'm winning. He loved exactly. to win. Yeah, so I love that. that's an awesome way to do it too. 
right? Um, but that's that was his particular thing. That may not be your kiddo's thing. Yeah, but well, you just have to find it rewarding. Absolutely, yeah. that's right. Absolutely. Uh, Parker asked this question last week. You did remember to ask Parker, but it was towards the end and we didn't get to it. Uh, he wants to know some great vacation hacks for people on the spectrum. He's going on vacation tomorrow. He's, he says, I'm a little bit nervous about it and that this might help other people too. So uh, what do you think, Dr. Grampiche? What are some great vacation hacks for people on the spectrum? That's awesome, Parker. First of all, I hope you have a wonderful time. I'm sure you will. Don't be nervous about it. Um, I would love, I'm glad that we have you and I can ask you some questions because I'd love to understand what makes you nervous about it. Because I think the hacks will have, will be different for each person. And, you know, the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is that it would be probably helpful if you uh, took with you some of the things that you depend on on a day to day. Like some of our folks will, for instance, really depend on their noise-canceling headphones. And that's a big thing for them because they go into environments that are very, very loud or just disturbing, and they put their noise-canceling headphones on, and that just helps them get through it. Now, airports are one of those places where it's at airplanes, uh, all of those types of environments, and I don't know where you're going, but it would be good to take some of those things that are tools uh, in your toolbox, things that you can pull out and that will help you uh, with whatever might come in your environment. Another thing that comes to mind, Parker, is a schedule. Um, having a schedule of what you are going to do uh, kind of is always very anxiety relieving, I think. So just having a plan. So for instance, you know, I'm going to have, we're going to go out and have breakfast from this time to this time, then we're going to go and do something else. And then we're going to do something else. Having some sort of idea of what the day is going to look like, as long as you don't become rigid about it, but you kind of, that it's there to give you some idea is always going to be very helpful. Did Parker write back in, Shannon? You look like you're reading his, or no? No, uh, okay. I'm reading to catch up with other things. Um, yeah. But no, he no, hasn't done so, that. Okay, so those are just a couple of things, Parker, that would help you uh, enjoy your vacation. But please write in and tell me what about it is making you nervous. I think sometimes we get nervous just because our routine is changing. But let me know, because I'm sure others would benefit from that, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just was reading because we have a couple of different questions that have to do with language. So Michelle has written in and said, my son is five and has autism and mixed receptive expressive language disorder. How do I get him to be conversational? He is an ABA 35 hours a week. And then um, I also see that All Things Awesome said my six-year-old mans and can identify out items, count, say her birthday, et cetera, but doesn't talk in sentences and is not conversational. We are starting ABA full-time this summer. What can I do at home to help? So they're very different questions, but in the same bucket. I don't know if you want to take both together or separate. Uh, I think I want to go separately. Okay. So, and I just also saw that Rhea wrote back I didn't answer the question that all of the, what we just said should be happening. Also, it would work in your home, definitely. Um, and I also want to tell Rhea that uh, it, ABA doesn't happen one time. Um, you, This process that I explained and that your ABA providers are doing will go on for days, if not weeks. And then he will learn. Um, a behavior takes a long time to become a habit and a long time to to break that habit so so just bear with it for a bit so okay let's do uh michelle okay that's okay so yeah my son and has autism and mixed receptive expressive language disorder so i don't know who diagnosed but generally speaking autism is a more pervasive disorder than mixed uh, receptive expressive language disorder um, and so if you have a diagnosis of autism, you don't have the other one. 
you generally we will give kids I, I'm not even sure if it still exists in DSM-5, to be honest, but I used to give mixed receptive expressive language disorder to kids who did not have the full symptoms of autism. They only had the language disorder part. Um, and, the, you know, so if you have autism, you already have a language delay. You already have issues with both receptive and expressive communication. So um, let's just talk about that for a minute. I don't know where your child is in his level of programming. Um, I, I'm glad that he's getting about 35 hours a week. That's awesome. And it's fantastic that he's only five. Um, getting to conversation is a lot. And I see now, Shannon, why you wanted me to kind of join them. Uh, so maybe this will help you as well, but uh, all things awesome. Maybe this will answer your question as well. But getting to conversational skills is not an easy uh, step. It's not one thing that we teach. There's a many, many, many different lessons that have to be mastered. I'm going to talk about a few of them right now. So usually when we're working on language, there's a number of, I mean, and if you look at just the language curriculum that we had developed for CARD, I don't even know, there was 400, 500 lessons in there. And if you, you usually will just start with, let's say, some form of labeling, assuming your child has already passed ECOICS, which is being able to actually um, say words, echo what they hear. Um, and if the child is able to imitate sounds and words, then we're going to want to teach them labels. And labels will be things that, you know, like this is a phone, this is a pen, etc. But the way that we teach it is we usually will teach the object uh, receptively first, which means we will tell the child, we'll have an object in front of the child, and we'll tell the child to touch something or point to it or give and that does not require the child to vocalize, but it allows them to hear the label over and over. So it's touch phone, give me phone, point to phone, those types of things. And once that step is mastered, then you can actually do a receptive version of that, which is what is it? And then the child has to say phone, right? And that's the first response. And I'm not going to get into, it would be a whole lecture on, discrete trial and, and discrimination training to talk to you about how we then, you'll introduce a second object, which is let's say pen, and then you have to make sure that you can, you know, rotate the two objects so the child is able to actually discriminate between phone and pen. And once you have discrimination training in place, which by the way is seven steps all of it on its own, which is why I'm not going into it. But once you've done all that, then you obviously can increase and keep adding labels. And, I, and all of what I just said was one lesson, labels, object labels. Now we also have to go into, of course, actions, right? I'm running, she's sitting, he's eating, et cetera. And, and by the way, since I used a gender, you also will have a different lesson which teaches about she and he, they, us, those types of pronouns. And then, of course, you have other lessons that are going to teach adjectives, things like the color of an object or the size of it, the shape of it, uh, the weight of it, all of that. You, you're, you'll still have another uh, lesson that'll be talking about tenses. So when something is in the past tense or future tense, You'll still have another one that's talking about the functions of objects. You know, what do I drink from and what do I... So there's and, and prepositions and pronouns and, and there are about probably somewhere close to maybe 60 or so lessons that are just basic language, very basic stuff. And you will teach these and as you teach them, you try to join them. So as you're teaching, let's say, you know, it's a phone and you've also now taught the other lesson, which is, um, you know, you talk to people on a phone functions, 
you can merge those two types of things together. And now I can say something like, give me the thing that you use if you want to call mom. And then you'll know it's a phone. And it starts to get a little bit more abstract and you have to think about it. Or I could say, give me the thing that is on the table that's a rectangle, right? Because you also now learned of shapes. So there's a lot of different ways that you can merge all these concepts together. And that's just the way we learn things. We classify them according to multiple different features, right? A phone is an object I use to connect with people. It's also a rectangle. It also has glass. It is also this blah, 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 blah. And so you have all of that. The, you, that has absolutely, honestly, this is all just core language. It has really nothing to do with conversation yet, but it's necessary. Because once you get to conversation, the skills that you learn are not so much about speech and language as they are about interaction and social. Conversation is a very, very social behavior. It involves, so you have to sort of have enough of the basic speech and language stuff for content. But now we have to kind of teach you all the rules of conversation. So those are things like, if I'm talking to one other person, how do I, in, how do I begin a conversation? If I go up to a person, how do I begin? And, you know, a lot of our kids have the problem where they uh, will just blurt something out and you have no idea, was it, what was that? Like, is that from a movie they saw? Is that from a book? Is that just a memory? Is that something in their head? What is it? And so it's a, we teach, there's a lesson, which is intro to a conversation, which has to do with teaching the child how to give an introduction. And if you think about it, typically developing kids also talk about random stuff, but they give an intro. <laughs> so they'll say something like, this movie we were watching last night, that's the intro. And then they'll say, it had this cute animal in it that was blah, blah, blah. And so then it's fine. Then it makes sense. In other words, they place it. And our kids often don't do that. And so one of the lessons we teach is how to introduce a conversation. Then other aspects of conversation involve how to repair a conversation. And that's a very advanced one. So let's say the person that you're talking to looks at you and starts walking away because they're not interested. You have to not only have already mastered the lesson that has to do with what was that facial expression, like being able to read other people's facial expressions, which is very hard for our kids. But then once you've realized, oh, this person is getting bored, to be able to repair it. And how do you repair? You change the subject to something they're interested in. So these are, I just listed four different lessons, being able to read someone else's body language, being able to know, uh, think from their perspective. This is theory of mind lessons, which are like, okay, if they're not interested in this, maybe they want to talk about these toys, or I know they're interested in something else because yesterday he talked to me about this, whatever it is. And all of these things have to come together so that you can repair the conversation and not just be left there. That is just one other lesson, repairing conversation. Another one is uh, how you behave in, in a group as opposed to just one person. Another one is list taking turns in conversation, listening and answering. So making statements as, a, as well as asking questions. These are all individual things that have to be taught before a conversation can take place. And then, of course, you have to have the child become a little bit more comfortable, familiar with the other child they're supposed to be having a combo with or with the adult or with you. Um, and and it, it, that's how it comes together. But a lot of times our parents expect our kids, the kids to like converse when they don't have all of those kind of building blocks in place. So just focus on the building blocks, because honestly, once you have enough building blocks, the sign for me, the time you know it's time to teach the child the social skills around conversation is when your child just won't stop talking. 
they will just blurt out all of these other all of these things and it's like okay now i need to help the child put them together in a cohesive kind of socially appropriate way but if you haven't gotten to that point yet then it's not really the right time to start introducing conversation so people have been writing in all things awesome said wow this really helps us parents we don't realize that so many steps are required we're all just hoping for conversation do you have a book on all these lessons or maybe a parent guide and michelle said this is so helpful thank you we're at the beginning stages i think um he still is in the labeling stage and i think i think that they're right on the money here that I don't think any of us realize how much this takes. And that's also part of that conversation about why when ABA is recommended, how many hours are recommended, because this isn't something that happens in one hour of speech a week, which is what a lot of what is normalized for parents. Oh, well, your child only needs one hour of speech a week. We're not going to get there with one hour a week. No, no. No, and ABA is like, you know, generally these early stages, we're looking at anywhere between 25 to 40 hours a week, even more. Some of my kids do more. I, um, you know, I I come to think that in the early years when I first opened CART many, many years ago in like 1990, I had probably about, I want to say maybe 20 or so lessons. And what I did is I went, I just started to, you know, I had patients, I had children. And with these children, I we grew. So those early children were like, for instance, I would be with a child and I'd be like, okay, like he is just blurting out a bunch of info. I just need to teach him how to put it in the appropriate, you know, uh, environment or how, what, where is coming from? Like, is it something he thought of or something? And that would become a lesson. Or I would imagine that, oh, this child is having a very, very hard time understanding that other kids at school weren't making fun of him. It was an accident. So I need to teach him that. And so these became lessons that we wrote through the period of, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And yes, that's the the book that I wrote, which has a lot of chapters that talk about just the organization of CARD. But, and how we built a large company, right? It was a pretty big company that helps kids. Um, but at the end of that book, there's an appendix that has some of these lessons listed, but it doesn't describe them because we put those lessons in a software or in a platform called Skills. And um, Skills is available right now to the public um, but unfortunately, CAR doesn't have the resources to really help people um, understand the platform. So they're kind of like, it's there. They only have a few people supporting it. But why don't you take a look and see if uh, become, you know getting a license to skills is helpful to you? Um, otherwise, I will be, tell you, I am trying to write another book that talks just about content and just about these things that you can teach and goes into great detail about each one. Wonderful. Um, Okay. Uh, So many questions here. I do want to say that Parker wrote back and was more specific about that he's going to a family reunion. He's not so much worried about the routine being upset. He's nervous that um, it's a family reunion. I don't want to embarrass myself or my stepdad. Um, And I'm just sending you a hug, Parker, because you're amazing. I don't think you're going to embarrass anybody. But Dr. Grampiche, do you want to address that? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that, Harper, you are amazing, first of all. We love having you on our show. You help so many other people. Just remember that about yourself, first of all. You you are a, a truly unique, amazing person, and you put so much time into coming on our show and and, and Shannon's other shows and helping other people. So, you know, big hug to you, first of all. And remember that whenever you're feeling anxious. Um, secondly, I guess I can, I can tell you a couple of techniques that you can use if you start to get really anxious. I don't think you have anything to worry about, but I know that sometimes environments will trigger anxiety in us. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do that will help you calm down. For example, if there is like, 
take a pebble, uh, like a little, you know, just a round piece of stone or anything. Honestly, you could even just be a round cardboard or something and write a word on there that gives you strength. Something like, for instance, I just anything like I'm strong. I, I, I'm, I'm great. I'm wonderful. I'm smart. I, whatever words that give you strength and then just keep that in your pocket. And if you go into this environment and you start to feel like, oh, all these people are making me anxious or this place is like people are judging me, just put your hands in your pockets and you'll feel this pebble and it'll remind you of how amazing you are and um, that none of this stuff is going to matter. It's not going to uh, be anything that's going to make you or your stepdad embarrassed, okay? Now, in addition to that, you can always take a break. If you feel like things are getting overwhelming or that people are judging you in a negative way, you can take a break. You can walk outside. Um, you can take a deep breath. You know those, those types of calming exercises. And, and last but not least, Parker, and I don't know how your communication or your, your, your um, you know, is with your stepdad, but perhaps have a conversation with him and just tell him, I don't want to embarrass you. Um, so please tell me what are the things that, you know, I might do that would bother you because then I can try to make sure that I don't do those things and have an open conversation and ask for his support. If he is someone that can provide support to you, um, because you can go at it. If you go in there with him on your side as a team, you're going to feel very, very different about it. Uh, you know, it's so tough sometimes, Shannon, like we don't have a reason to feel anxious, but sometimes around family, a lot of people feel anxious. Yes, absolutely. And can I tell you, Parker, that it's it's entirely possible. I love that Dr. Grand Pichet is asking you to have a talk with your stepdad about it because it's entirely possible that he's having anxiety, but on the other side. I can tell you that I have never been embarrassed about my son embarrassing me. I've been worried and anxious about other people not treating my son fairly going into something. So, you know, I think, I think you're going to be fine and you're going to be wonderful, but, um, but we all have our feelings and our feelings are important, even if they're not based in anything that that's likely. Right. I do want to say that Renee, Renee and Elvira have said that they love your TikTok, Dr. Grampiche, especially Thank the you. subtitles. They're saying help them a lot. That's I know good. I love subtitles on videos too. Uh, they're not always perfect. They're not always wonderful, but I absolutely love them. I have to get to a question uh, about adults because a parent wrote in in this last week and said, how can I help my son who's turning 18 years old in two months as his advocate and caretaker? I just learned about guardianship recently. Am I too late? No, you're not too late. Um, you can apply for guardianship uh, at any point. Uh, it really just depends. Like once he turns 18, if he doesn't refuse your guardianship, then you can still get his become his guardian. And that's uh, kind of an important step, depending on what I, I know nothing about his level of functioning. Sometimes parents of even much higher functioning individuals want conservatorship or guardianship because they're worried about just some, you know, I know one of the parents that I worked with to get to become a conservator was that he was worried his child would get mixed up in drugs, you know, and of course that's one of those things that it's important. So you're not, you uh, would need to find a lawyer who specializes in this. Um, and I, I don't know if Bonnie knows anyone, Shannon, I'm sure we can help find someone. I mean, it depends on what state you're in and if you're in the U S obviously we don't want to assume, um, but it, it is a process. It's a process. Um, it doesn't end at 18. It can continue. You can do it at any age. So I, I will say that, that, um, the concern is, is that on the day that your child turns 18, 
you will find some legal issues if you don't have conservatorship. So you'll want to start taking steps if it's something that is medically necessary. For instance, we've had parents that didn't start until they were later. Forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know, right? But we we had at least one instance where um, an 18-year-old, and, and the mom was in the process, uh, the 18 year old had a seizure. They, you know, he it was a particularly bad seizure. He had to go to the hospital. And because she didn't have paperwork, the doctor wouldn't talk to her. It was a whole process. And you don't want to have that hanging over your head. So you do want to start the process as soon as yeah. you possibly can, if there are those considerations, but it's never too late. Um, but you just for if, especially if it's something that your child would need your help and support with medical decisions, you do want to start it earlier as opposed to later. But now, you know what they say, now is a great time. Uh, whenever that is, whenever that is, uh, Missy has written in and said, if my 12 year old has graduated from their ABA program, but is still aggressive, what can I do? Sorry, I didn't, you, uh, did I cut oh, this is 12 year old? No, no, no. I got it. Okay. Um, you know, I guess it's so funny because I have a nutritional coach who sometimes works with me and I always go back to her when I'm feeling bad. And she says, you have to learn that nutrition is a lifelong thing and it's not just for a phase. So, and that could be said of ABA as well. So it's kind of like, you may not need it on an ongoing basis at a very high intensity, but it is a it's a it's a way of life in the sense that if if an aggressive behavior should occur in the future, you can always deal use those same techniques, right? So I I guess again, Missy, this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, which is what is the function of the aggression, right? Can you figure out why your twelve year old is aggressing, and then go back and remember remind yourself of all the you know, he's aggressing because he wants to get out of a situation. He's aggressing because he wants access to something. Let's, you know, we can talk about that more. You can always also get in touch with the folks who provided ABA earlier and say, this is happening. And they will jump in and they will ask for a short period of funding from your insurance and come in and help and also guide you. And, you know, insurance companies are uh, promoting a lot of of re-entry so that we can help parents. And I see that you wrote in, yes, he he's frustrations about avoiding tasks, right? So, I mean, and that is, that is where we, you, like I said before, what you have to do is make sure that the task and the reward is, is fair. Um, in other words, I'll, I'll give you some examples of just us. So if you go to work and you work around the clock and you're giving up a whole bunch of other stuff and you're exhausted and you get paid $5 an hour, you're probably not going to do that for very long, right? You're going to quit. Um, if you go to work and the amount of work you put in is what you feel is fair for the salary that you get, the check that you get at the end of that week, then you're gonna keep doing that behavior. You're gonna keep going to work and it's gonna be okay. So when a task is too demanding and the reward that comes out of it is too little, we tend to get frustrated and throw tantrums about it. It's just really that simple. Um, and sometimes it's funny because I'm with, I, I've been spending a lot of time with my 20 year old this past week and she has a job that is way too many hours that, that it should be. She's still in college. She's, you know, still learning all the things you have to do. Like when your plumbing breaks down and you have to order, you know what I mean? Like all the adult things and she's overwhelmed and she's frustrated. So, um, she, tends to avoid tasks. She tends to get frustrated and angry much more often. So the answer is just reduce some of your tasks because it has become to the point where you just overwhelming. And the same is true here. Reduce the tasks, increase the reward, and then gradually change that. 
So gradually you can bring the reward level down and add one more task, but you have to find a balance for him. And remember, other 12-year-olds might have even more tasks, but they're just not as hard as they are for your 12-year-old. So everybody has a different level of what they can contend with. And let me tell you, I look at my three typically developing kids and my oldest daughter, for instance, my youngest too, they're like the they just are like constantly doing this and that and accomplishing and this, and it's never enough. And one more thing. And they have, they kind of live like their mom. And then my son is a completely different human being. And if you were to take half of their tasks and throw it on him, he'd jump out the window. And so everybody has to find a balance that works for them. And again, though, that being said, aggressing, aggression is never okay. So once you reduce that task level, he needs to not aggress. He needs to get through the tasks. And, and then gradually, you also now need to teach him when he's frustrated, he just needs to say, I'm frustrated. and not aggress. He needs to say, this is too much. I need a break. This is one of the things we teach our kids very early on is to express that they've just had enough, like they need a break or they just don't want to do this right now. And again, I always say when there's a challenging behavior, if communication existed, often that challenging behavior would not take place. Think about just yourselves, ourselves, right? We get angry at our spouses or people out there, whatever. And if we were able to work through by talking through it, those angers wouldn't even occur, right? We just get so built up our, all of our adrenaline and everything that we forget how to communicate. So teaching someone to communicate what their frustrations are is a huge uh, benefit and will actually affect aggression. Can I add one thing that you have taught me that I'm still learning because I learn it and then I forget it? Um, and that is the importance of moving our bodies for self-regulation as well. Oh, that, yeah. uh, especially for, I mean, this is something that you teach me all the time, Dr. Grampiche, is that if I will move my body a certain number of minutes every day, I will feel better and I, yes. my coping mechanisms will be better and I will have an easier time. And I think that is particularly true of young people that, you know, I, I hear 12 year old and I go, oh my gosh, thinking about all the things that they have going on in their body. And, and if they've got to have a physical outlet, whether it's that you take them swimming or they go running or something to help them to be able to cope. Definitely. Absolutely. And a 12 year old probably is going to also be involved with gaming, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, that's kind of why I am so into, and this is because of your son, by the way, that I'm like obsessed with learning more about virtual reality stuff because it is so incredible for movement as yes. well. I mean, like there, it's just unbelievable when you put a goggle on and you, you feel like you're in a boxing match. Yeah. or you feel like you're sword fighting or playing yeah. tennis or, and this is incredible stuff. And, um, you know, it also, I, I really love VR for our kids because it takes away all of the external uh, distractions. You know, sometimes I look at the children that I work with and I see their eyes are just all over the place. And I've always thought that they have such a temple, I think, has referred to this as well. Is like there's such a difficult time, you know, forming the box around themselves. Right. It's like this is the, the that kind of proprioceptive sense that we have of our bodies in the world. Yeah. And VR just kind of takes the, it's so incredible because it puts a box around you and it's a very big box. It's as much as you can see, but it has a limit and it allows you to just kind of stay within there. And I love that. So that's kind of another thing is, is if you can uh, get your child active or 
And also I love VR for the fact that it also gives you peace, right? There are, I mean, the very first thing Jem had built that I went into was this Zen room. And I was like, I want that. And you were like, well, that's something he just built for himself. I was like, but I want that. That was like the most incredibly Zen, the sound of water. And like, it was just beautiful. It's, and it's interesting, you go in there and other senses become active that aren't, like I felt I can spell, smell flowers, but obviously virtual reality is not giving you a sense of smell, although maybe it should. <laughs> But honestly, I mean, so those are good things that you can use to kind of help our kids self-regulate. It's all yeah. about just managing yourself in the world. All right, I'm gonna try to squeeze in two more questions here. Amanda wrote in earlier and said, "Hi, doctor. If I purchase skills developing, would that help me give an overview of uh, give me an overview of skills I need to teach my toddler so I can give in-home ABA?" Yes, and the answer is yes, definitely. And it's a license, so you don't purchase it. It's by month. You can go in there and take a look around. It starts with an assessment, which I was very proud of because it took us many, many years to answer, uh, to develop that assessment. And you answer these questions. And once you answer the questions, then it basically will link you to lessons uh, and tell you what lessons your child needs to. To do. Now, Kathy, yeah. has Kathy has written in with what I believe is the $64 million question. Uh, and this is, you know, I sing this song all the time. She said, hi again, ladies, just joining. I'm still on the madness train trying to work out the SS application <sighs> and no one can help me because he's currently having benefits through my retirement that ends in June. Why isn't there someone for guidance just for this process? You know, I have said, why are there not social workers that help with the paper? paperwork and the navigation. I don't, I like, I would like to lobby insurance that they have to include a code for this for parents. This would be pivotal. Honestly, it's so difficult. I, you know, there are two sources that I come to mind. There are actually attorneys that focus just on this. So you could also try to find an attorney. I mean, that's an expensive way to do it, but there are, and they're, they're actually very inexpensive. I did this process for my mom and I hired an attorney. It was very, very helpful. The second thing is um, perhaps regional centers would have someone that could help with this. I don't know if you're in California or not, but I'm guessing that uh, there's the equivalent of uh, regional centers in California or this organization that basically funnels development funding uh, the DDS funding, Department of Developmental Services funding to people. So they're kind of the middleman and they have all these amazing services, one of which is, I think, guidance like this. They're supposed uh, to. It's hard to get it, though. I will tell you, though, if you're if, if they're in California, if they're in the Los Angeles area, there's there's something called standout advocates that it's two moms. They can they can help you through all of this. Um, but it, outside of Los Angeles, we keep looking for, for people, guides. I, and I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Dr. Grant. No, no. But I mean, even the moms in LA, perhaps you can call them and maybe they can still guide you because the forms are a little different per state, but they're not that different. And they're standout advocates. We've had them on the show before. They're two amazing ladies who went through this process themselves and learned so much and learned from each other that they went, why don't we do this for other people? And there is a cost and it's, it's not a small cost, but it, I, I, every single parent that I know has worked with them has said, we got so much more in services than what we paid to have them do it. So standout right. advocates. Um, and, and Kathy went away and just got back. Kathy, you're going to have to watch the replay because we just answered your question. Uh, well, we tried anyway. Uh, we're we're like officially out of time here, Dr. Grampichet, but I just want to thank you. It's been a whirlwind April. By the time we meet next week, I think we're not in April anymore. Um, but I but I hope that sometime next week we're going to be officially back in the studio. Uh, and I'm, I'm in my office next to the studio and our next step is to get Dr. Grampichet here. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's coming along, uh, but so thrilled. And thank you so much for everything that you have done for us, Dr. Grampichet. I'm going to give just a oh, couple of quick, couple of quick programming notes. 
Don't miss this afternoon. We're doing a special live feed. It will be at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to do a special live show with Kobe Bird because he wasn't available tomorrow morning. So we're going to be live with Kobe Bird. He's the young actor. You've seen him on Speechless. You've seen him on The Good Doctor. Now you've seen him on Netflix's hit show, Lock and Key. He's going to be with us this afternoon live. We'd love to have you there asking him questions. Then. Later on tonight, um, over at the Ed Asner Center, if you go to their site, I'll be doing an Ed Talk with Dr. Temple Grandin and Izzy Paskowitz from First Healing and um, Chelsea Darnell from Movie Chat with Chelsea. We're all part of their end of April um, Ed Talk. I'm going to be quiet and let Dr. Uh, Dr. Temple Grandin talk. Um, but then uh, tomorrow we're going to be replaying that Kobe Bird interview. But on Friday, here's the big news. On Friday, we are debuting the first episode of Stories from the Spectrum, our new podcast show here on the Autism Network. I cannot wait for all of you to see this. I am I am moved to the core of my being by what these wonderful artists have sent in. Um, this is all content that is by and for individuals who are neurodiverse. So proud of this. I can't I can't wait for all of you to see that's debuting on Friday during our regular hours. So you're not gonna want to miss everything that's happening. Right, Dr. Grand Pichet? Fantastic. I can't wait. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, you guys. We will be back this afternoon. Don't miss it with Kobe Bird. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.